My name is Ben. My name's Andrew. And we are your hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. One word, two hosts, stories, trivia, and video games. How's Andrew doing today? Well, I got a little update on my uh, bar stools problem. The last episode where I was complaining about how the, the bar stools were going to incite a robot uh, revolution because of the, the robot vacuum. Bought some new bar stools there on sale at Home Depot and they fit the counter better. Okay. Uh, I haven't tested the robot with them yet, but it's a the different design. So not Ricky tested. It hasn't been tested by Ricky Jr. yet. Okay. But there's also something else in the living room now. There's like a baby thing that Ricky Jr. gets caught on. So, eh. Yeah. There's always going to be something, right? Is that all the excitement going on in your world? Bar stools? Uh, saw Santa yesterday. Oh. Yeah. No, there was um, a pictures with Santa thing. Our realtor uh, loves to do these promotional things. Even though we already bought the house and we're not going to sell anytime soon. Our realtor that we worked with, she's always like, we're doing these things. Come on down. And so this time, I think she just really wanted to see the baby. So she organized a picture with Santa's thing. (laughs) (laughs) She was like... (laughs) I mean, there were a lot of people there, but then when we showed up, she like ran right out and said, Oh, let me see the baby. And it doesn't look like Ed Asner. No, kind of. No Asner. Similar hairline. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. The baby and Santa. And then I've been back at work. Yeah. It's frustrating, but that's okay. Like the kid running away from school. That happened. It wasn't the worst thing that happened. That wasn't the worst thing? That was an intense thing, but maybe the the whole atmosphere was going on. Because, yeah, I work for a school district that just got done with a teacher's strike. And I'm not a teacher, but... But there's still some residual... But there's still, like, falling action that gets taken care of. And, yeah, and then, like, they have to add more days to uh, make up for the days that were missed. Hmm for you know instructional reasons and i'm just sitting here going like well you guys i don't want to burn any bridges but you know they went on strike for a long time but they didn't really get much out of it so yeah so and there's a lot of uh bitter feelings about who was misled by whom and who was jerking whom around during the whole negotiating process which from my position i feel like everything was being jerked around and you know, you know, in any kind of negotiation, there is some, let's see how far the other person can go or will go and then kind of respond. It's not usually a civil process, negotiations. There's always going to be a loser and sometimes the loser is both. I think that's how this worked out. Then me, I'm just like collateral damage. Let's not bring down the show. Uh, yeah, I know. Exactly. I was like, yeah, work is dumb. Work is dumb. <laughs> Everybody can just agree. Work's dumb. A lot of times work is dumb. Well, did you read the book Fight Club when it came out? Well, I read it a long time ago. Yeah. I think I saw the movie first, but then I went and read the book. and then. Okay. What's new with me? I rewatched uh, Fight Club recently. Oh, you're in a bad place. Oh. <laughs> Rewatching Fight Club. Yep. That's kind of the way my week has gone. Because work sucks. I, yeah, I, no. I, <laughs> maybe this is a new sort of opinion. I've identified who the actual villain is. Oh, really? It's not Tyler Durden. It's the doctor. That's who the villain is. The movie wouldn't have happened had it been for a doctor that actually cared and actually yeah. said, this is a problem. 
any psychiatrist will tell you, if you come in with those symptoms, pretty sure something's going to be done about it. Maybe that's a sign of the times and when this was written. I was having problems with my mental health back when that movie and book were released, so I'd like to think that they would take that seriously, but doesn't sound like he did. So I think he's the villain, the doctor. I'm sure he is, yeah. It's been a while since I've watched the movie, but... Long story short, it says, choose some valerian root. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, that's what it amounts to, choose some valerian root. And then he makes the suggestion, which he takes a little too far, which is go see the guys with terminal cancer. Oh, right, yeah. And then that starts the whole story. So that's just something I just thought of recently, being someone who has had major insomnia that's lasted a pretty long time. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about more happy, controversial things. Okay. (laughs) The happy, controversial things. Yes, sort of happy, controversial. But so you know how I was talking about Dave the Diver by Mint Rocket, which, as it turns out, is a subsidiary of a very large company. Oh. Dave the Diver is their first game, but the company is Nexon, which is a very large Korean developer. Mm-hmm. The Game Awards, an annual award ceremony established in 2014, produced by game journalist Jeff Keighley. Of course, you had an uproar from people saying, this is not an independent game. It is published by a very large company with billions of dollars in revenue. Let me see the exact one. In Japanese yen, $274 billion in revenue. That's gross revenue. That sounds like a lot, yeah. Like I said, that's the controversy. People saying the, this is just an offshoot of Nexon. It is a subdivision. If you go to Mint Rocket's page, it is published by Nexon. It's not like they're an independent developer, which I thought they were. And I have a quote from the vice president of Nexon's new development headquarters. He oversees the Mint Rocket brand. And he stated about Dave the Diver, it may look like an indie, but it's not necessarily the case. So he is saying that it's not an independent developed title so everyone's angry and doing silly things like saying we should boycott the sale of dave the diver and it's just like it's just a game and you know what it put me in mind of do you remember there was a oh geez i think it was 1989 jethro tull won a music award over metallica for the best hard rock heavy metal album of the year. Oh. Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull. Inventor of the seed drill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that one. Oh, the other Jethro the Tull. The other Jethro Tull. <laughs> yes. Nexon hasn't said anything like, hey guys, we're not independent. It's an honor. So now there's talk about what is independent, what isn't independent. Do you have any thoughts on this? I'm making a connection to the uh, the big brewing companies like the big beer companies like Miller Coors and Ambev started buying up the craft beer labels like they're just buying out small breweries because they'd been losing shelf space to them so you know you win by becoming them right so there's like a lot of things that were microbrews and now they're not but that's kind of different it's a difference because it wasn't a company that was spun off into its own division 
Yeah. Focusing on a certain type of game, more of a lab. Let's try some things out. Let's see if this works. Let's see if this connects. Yeah, I know. And Dave the Diver definitely did connect with me and a lot of other people or else it wouldn't be in that conversation. That leads into, I completed RoboCop Rogue City. Oh, yeah. I finally got done with that. It gets no love on the stage for being any kind of Game of the Year contender, according to Jeff Keighley's Game of the Year festivities, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit disappointing to me because I think it does deserve something for how well the game turned out. I wish they would have spent more time on the ending. You know how I told you about the endings being dependent on how you interact with the different characters throughout. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, one of the newscaster guys, right? He just basically inserts them into the news story and that's the end. That's the ending. Oh, okay. Depending on which way they felt at the end determines what their panel looks like, which is okay, I guess. But I was expecting something a little bit more advanced than that. You got three different viewpoints. It's a mathematical sort of thing. What, that's like six different endings with three? Or is it more than that? Yeah, I didn't know this was going to be a math problem. I I wasn't taking notes. Well, all I'm saying is (laughs) I think that would have been a better way to frame it is doing it that kind of way. But it's for what it is, it was an excellent game. I was just a little bit disappointed in the way it ended. But the gameplay all the way through was fabulous. Hmm. It had some strong story moments, even though the acting wasn't 100%. It was just a big surprise, and it's getting no Game of the Year love, so which is sad. But everyone's referring to it as sort of the middle ground between an independent developer and a AAA developer. Based on size, we come back to the, what is an independent game, and what does it mean? What does it mean? I don't know. But it has a Kickstarter, right? If it has a Kickstarter, that's how Psychonauts 2 started. They were getting very close to releasing it. And then Microsoft purchased Double Fine Games. And then they go, okay, let's delay and we can make this a much better game now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're a small developer. So if it's a small development company, you could have said something about Psychonauts 2 being an independent game until they were purchased by Microsoft. But it's still, when I think independent, I think no more than a certain number of people developing the game. Yeah. You can think of it in numbers uh, as far as the amount of funding they have too, if you'd like. But I just think people, the number of people developing it. Like the size of the company. That's part of it. But if a large company like Electronic Arts sees this really awesome game that's developed by three people and says, we want to publish that for you. That's still an independent game. Right. However, in the case of Nexon and Mint Rocket, it was a division that was spun off, but still is under Nexon's quote unquote control. So that is not an independent game. That's the controversy in gaming news these days is. Oh, the controversy. Yes. We've got the what have we been up to thing all taken care of. Now we can move into the regular segment. Andrew's Sensory Adventure. Yes. I've been uh, saving this for a while. 
we talked about on the last show, which you did not hear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In, the, in an apocryphal segment of the last show that will at some point surface. Perhaps on Andrew's Patreon. Who's to say? Yeah, find my Patreon. Uh, Patreon slash Partly Robot and maybe. And check out the show notes because it's in there every week. Oh, check out the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Every week Andrew's own. So, Andrew's Sensory Adventure, which is going to be the infamous, the infamous, it's the Japanese version. The Japanese um, addictive garlic. Addictive Pringles. garlic. The one thing that I want to know is uh, Julius Pringles has little gold stars for eyes. Oh. That makes me feel like this is going to be way better than the uh, uh, hot honey from Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> can i just officially say the walmart hot honey is my least favorite pringle <laughs> yes you've mentioned that before yeah i mean i'm just gonna say i reviewed it and that's a floor on the pringle scale you gotta shoot lower than that if you want to be worse than hot honey <laughs> if the flavor is lower than just plain is that saying something every one of these um interesting flavors i've eaten the whole can except for hot honey which it's i need to it's still there hmm. still i the ones that i ate on the show is all that's been eaten from there and it's Yeek. just all right so moving on to see how japan does pringles so the japanese addictive uh garlic okay so what's the size of the can compared to a regular oh okay so it's diameter seems to be a little bit smaller uh-huh. Like maybe 80% of the diameter of an American Pringles can. And the height, yeah, similar, like 80% the height. I'm going to be interested to see how much space there is in that, if they pack them in there differently than they do with regular Pringles. Luckily, I still have the uh, hot honey to as a visual reference. So. Oh, okay. All right, so we're ready for this sensory adventure? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, all right, I'm going to pop the top here. All right. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Um, they're the Pringles are smaller. Really? I mean, it's like the same, like that same proportion that I was like, well, let me, let me just compare. Oh, okay. So I might need to take a photo of this. Yeah. Send it to me. I'll send you a photo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, they're a little bit smaller. Interesting. Maybe they use metric. Uh, somehow uh, yeah there might be there's might be metric pringles or it might have to do something with the uh conversion of the yen to the dollar i don't know <laughs> something like that yeah okay so they use a, a smaller die to cut or press the pringles into this shape yeah okay it's amazing the other amazing thing was you know i was grumbling about how the top pringles on the other can were like kind of mushed up yeah so the top Pringles on these that came all the way from Japan, the top ones are intact. Oh my goodness. But but then I'm looking down like after the, the first, you know, 15, then there's a bunch of crunchy ones. Just okay. Okay. Some kind of carnage happened in there, but, um, start with the odor. It's, um, smells like I'm, there could be a, a very faint garlicky whiff here. Uh, okay. The bouquet of, it's not, it's not really overpowering. So does it smell like any kind of garlicky thing or not that I can identify, but since this is like Japanese, it could be like a Japanese kind of flavor that I'm not so familiar with. It might just be a cultural ignorance on my part. Like there's a smell. I just can't, I can't pinpoint it and not a bad smell. Just okay. It, it'll fit into my mouth. 
Ja. Oh. Okay. I will be eating this whole can, I'll tell you right <laughs> off. <laughs> okay. It is like a nice, yes, a nice kind of creamy, garlicky feel to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a very excellent Pringle. Yeah. It's a spe- is it a special edition? I thought it was a, maybe a special edition. Maybe that's why the stars are in the eyes. I don't the- know. I'll have to Google Translate it further, but I wouldn't make this a special edition. I'd make this like a staple product. This is. I'm going to put this up towards the top of the Pringle scale. Okay. Where hot honey from Walmart will be at the bottom. <laughs> right, right. No, I really like this. I like this uh, addictive garlic. That's- so describe the taste. You just say it was creamy, garlicky. Like you know, like you know, like roasted garlic. Uh huh. How it's like kind of buttery. You know, just like the way the garlic just when you roast it, it just kind of breaks down in that nice. You can spread it. it. That, you can spread it, so it feels like really. I what does it feel? It tastes. It tastes <laughs> like roasted garlic. <laughs> it tastes really good. Glad I picked a winner. Finally, you picked a winner. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this might be a winner for the Japanese people. Right out the bat, I'm very happy with these Pringles. So, even I would say, even though that it's like it went through an eighty percent shrink ray for the can and the size of the chips, but the flavor is there. The flavor has not been shrunk. No, the flavor has maybe, um, you know, been expanded proportionally. Like they packed a hundred percent of the flavor and eighty percent of the surface area. I don't of, know. Yeah, of the footprint. I mean, I'm sure that math is wrong because. He can't be wrong. It's percentages. <laughs> 99% of our audience agrees. 99%. Yeah. <laughs> Four out of five dentists surveyed recommend Pringles for their patients who chew gum. 30 Helens agree. Are we putting this on the top of the uh, Pringle scale right now? This is the one to, this is the one to beat. This, this is really right there at the top now. Uh, Boy, I'm trying to think. What else do we have? The the Philly cheesesteak was... I actually like that more than I thought I would. But this one is just like... The garlic is just a really good... This might be the winner of the top one. I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, well, the ketchup one was interesting. Suspicious stew doesn't make the cut. Suspicious stew. Oh, too gimmicky. It's good to know that there's truth in advertising. Addictive garlic is actually addictive addictive and garlicky. Yeah, it is. It's addictive garlic. Yeah. So anyone who wants to go to the Sugio Mart and order up some special addictive garlic, highly recommend from Andrew. Yeah, this one, yeah, this one's a buy. So that has been Andrew's Sensory Adventure, the Addictive Garlic Edition. Let's move on to the word this week, which is animatronic. Animatronic. Bit of a, a portmanteau. Is it? Portmanteau? Sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it is. I would say it's a portmanteau because it's like two words mashed together. Do you know what the fear of animatronics is? No. Automatonophobia. Automatonophobia? Yeah, it's because they're, they're uh, automatons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fear of human like figures such as mannequins, wax figures, statues, dummies, animatronics, or robots. Or robots. So that's automatonophobia. According to Oxford. It's a noun. It's a technique of making and operating lifelike robots, typically for use in film or other entertainment. Yes, that's where I've seen them, in entertainment. Its origin 
is English animated and electronics. As you were saying, the portmanteau. The portmanteau. Around uh, Disney times is when it started being used. Yeah, I think it was the uh, Disney Imagineers that were the pioneers of animatronics. And also, lately, they're doing more with animatronics, sort of puppets, suits. In fact, they just made a Groot, like a little baby Groot. Oh. They're working on doing um, a Hulk for their amusement parks. There was a prototype anatomical hand from Project Exo, exoskeleton, I guess, robotic suit wow. thing. Yeah, I had a question. Do you, do you remember, remember uh, Billy Bass at Walgreens? You know, the, the singing fish? Oh, yeah. The, Is that animatronic? <laughs> I would say, yeah. L- low budget. Isn't it? Animatronic. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the hot honey <laughs> of animatronics. It's probably one step below Cuckoo Clock. Right. Cuckoo Clock. Well, yeah. Which is not animatronic, as you pointed out in a previous discussion we had, Clockwork. Yeah, but, Clockwork. But Clockwork is sort of the manual version of... Oh, yeah. It's animatronic right oh it absolutely the early animatronics people were looking at how clockwork did stuff they're just adding some uh, electronic controls to the the old gears and what's it's there's a part that is puppetry related to the way you have to make these things look realistic and whatnot which you don't really have to worry about with billy bass because you just need to make him flop and the mouth mo- open and close yeah not necessarily in sync to the music but whatever not necessarily no but let me just go back to the baby groot project kiwi and there's a demo of this free roaming robot that walks around that's sort of a, a smaller not really baby groot it's more of a toddler groot it looks more toddlery mm-hmm. and of course they don't have to worry about anything other than it saying, I am Groot. You <laughs> just animate that over and over again. I am Groot. Baby steps. Speaking of when did animatronics become scary, you said you had a story about E.T. So that's Amblin Entertainment, right? Or, or what was the... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But that is a subsidiary of what? Universal? I don't know if it was a subsidiary. I think it was, you know, Steven Spielberg's production company. Okay. Not to be confused with Stephen Hawking's production company. No. I don't think he had a production company, but Steven Spielberg, yes. <laughs> yeah, Spielberg. Yeah, Amblin Entertainment before uh, they, yeah, that got merged into the other guys for DreamWorks. So Spielberg probably has his own stuff now. He does whatever he wants because he made E.T. and that was, um, that made a lot of money. Talk about something that does not hold up. There are countless movies out there from that time frame and... E.T. is not one of them. I don't know why people thought the alien was so lovable. It's because of that Neil Diamond song. Turn on your heart light. Turn on your heart light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the... yeah. No, um, you know, the 80s were weird. People were like trying not to think about impending nuclear holocaust, you know. The Cold War the stuff. Cold War, right? The Cold War was... I mean, it was a thought on some people's minds, the... Russians and, and all that. We can, yeah. Because without that, we wouldn't have had Rocky Four Or War Games. Or War Games, yeah. Greetings, Professor Falcon. <laughs> yes. Let's play Global Thermal Nuclear War. How about a nice game of chess? 
I recall that I don't think there was any animatronics in that film. There wasn't, but E.T. The main thing I'm thinking of, at Universal, at some point, they had a E.T. ride. What is an E.T. ride? Well, it was like a big ripoff of uh, the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. Oh, okay. Except the little ride vehicle was like a bicycle. Or no, it was like several bicycles. It looked like several bicycles like in formation. So, you know, you get in and you sit on a thing and then you realize, no, it's not really a bicycle. It's just a chair. But it is a bicycle seat. So it's like you're on the bicycle. Like each one had individual bicycles that you were propelled on or? No, it was like a regular ride bench. It just, it was designed to look like that from the outside. But then you go in and you sit in the regular seat and the bar comes down and the car goes and it's suspended from a track above you. So it's like you're flying over all the stuff. Um, basically the thing is E.T. Uh, has come back to Earth because he needs Earth kids help to save his planet. So, so that's why you get on the bikes and then you fly back to E.T.'s planet. But at the beginning of it, while you're like in line, they would like take every writer's name and like give you like your special intergalactic passport or whatever a card or something that you plug into a little console in the middle of the. So they spoiled part of the story. If they're giving you your passport, they're kind of letting the cat out of the bag, aren't they? What, that E.T. lives? No, that you're going to travel to his planet. That's the premise of leading up to being on the ride, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, so you're told that. Because, you know, like in lines with the the rides, there's like the story elements that keep you distracted while you're waiting a long time, and they tell you what you're going to do. And then so you get on it, and then like, oh, we're going away, and you ride on the fly over the California town, and then... Off to E.T.'s planet, and it is like a weird acid trip of, you know, psychedelic painted mushrooms with weird faces and frog things and E.T. stuff. And you're like, what is this? And then they say, oh, yeah, you saved E.T.'s home. And then you go back and then. And then you're left with that flashback. I guess you're left with that flashback. Yeah. Because like the black lights and the, the fluorescent paint on the mushrooms and the, and then you get off and then there's like one last animatronic ET that says, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, because that's the, the deal with the little passport thing. It's just, you know, they write down your name and then, yeah, then ET voice makes that come out at you that's scary the whole thing is very much living in the uncanny valley the whole ride if you look at the movie these are definitely animatronic sort of puppetry kind of things right did all the aliens look like that they yeah they're just kind of herky-jerky animatronics you know you know they did go through their little four move program and i want to say the ride might have actually been made in the early 90s or it was either late 80s or early 90s that they made that ride. That's kind of after the fact, isn't it? It was totally after the fact of E.T. It was, but like E.T. kept, it, it just kept getting called back and, you know, re-released every summer and they kept playing it on the big screen all the time. I don't know why. Because it made you cry about how <laughs> E.T. needs to go home. The, the military guys, they just want to cut him up and no, he's not dead. He's just... In the freezer. But he had an insurance policy. He had an insurance policy. Yeah, that insurance policy was Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He connected with Elliot. So Elliot was feeling, right? So it's like, that's kind of creepy, isn't it? E.T. E. T. drank all the cores and Elliot got drunk at school. Exactly. 
<laughs> if you kill me, this kid goes too. If that's not creepy, I don't know what else is. When I watched uh, the first season of Stranger Things, I was like, oh, this is pretty much E.T., only slightly different. I don't know. To the kids. Only a much hotter alien, I guess. That's right. They were middle school boys. Yeah, they were like, there's a girl that doesn't run away from us. We're in love. They're just starting to figure stuff out. There was a connection there. I mean, that's absolutely how 11-year-old boys operate. Whereas like with E.T., it was strictly platonic. Despite the drag. uh... (laughs) Yeah, the drag scene. (laughs) The drag scene. Like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> that's all drew barrymore's doing boy that, that movie was just championing the the woke agenda before we even knew what it was <laughs> i don't know i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to, <laughs> i'm trying to to on the sly um cancel et but no. right let's let's do that Steven Spielberg's got enough money. Let's get now. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm like ETs. It's in the past. And I remember enjoying the movie for what it was, but I yeah. mean, you know, you know which movie well, I I never... from that time frame that I enjoyed more though? Hmm. Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder. Yeah. That was kind of messed up. What do you mean? No, I mean, okay. Well, there was a scene where like the peeping Tom stuff with the helicopter. That was kind of messed up. Oh, that was definitely messed up. Yeah. But that's all I really remember of that movie. Well, that guy dies anyway. <laughs> that guy dies. Okay. Good. Good. I was like, uh, also, I remember something about Roy Scheider worrying about his sense of time. Yeah. Because of, uh, what's his name? Malcolm McDowell was the evil character in there. But Maybe I wasn't allowed to watch that movie and I just sneak scenes. Okay, just add it to your list. Add it to your list of movies you should watch. List of movies to watch. Yeah. (laughs) For me. Ben's list of movies I should watch. Yes, exactly. Um, but but yeah, it's Blue Thunder. There was that scene where the guy was being a peeping tom, watching someone doing yoga. I guess naked yoga. Yeah. I don't know. I don't remember whether or not that person was naked. I just remember. I don't really remember either. Like, coming back to it, I'm like, I'll just say, that scene made me feel uncomfortable. I remember the Jaffo hat. That's what I need. I need to wear a Jaffo hat for Halloween next year. That's what I need. That was one of the jokes, was they got the, the rookie, the rookie kid, a Jaffo hat. That hat meant just another fucking observer. <laughs> yeah, so... It's a, it's a great movie. You need to see it. You need to see it again. And let me just say Roy Scheider being the Roy Scheiderist of Roy Scheiders. He has a type. He's a very good actor, I thought. Even in Sequest. Sequest. That was all right. That was another Spielberg thing. It all, it all comes back to, to Spielberg, doesn't it? It all revolves around Spielberg. Spielbergian because he he's just made half of the movies that came out between now and in 1979. You mentioned Clockwork, wasn't Bruce? I mean that was pretty clockworky, right? Bruce, the shark, the shark that didn't work. Yeah, the shark that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. That was not animatronic because they had to have it underwater. They didn't use clockwork for that. That it was probably pneumatic. 
pneumatic. I mean, they probably had like some different pneumatic things. I, mean, I don't know exactly what it was, but yeah, a lot of the animatronic stuff is actually like just electronic drivers for pneumatic and hydraulic waldos and things that make stuff happen. So what ruined animatronics? Oh. Like what time frame were we talking about? Because I remember being fascinated by animatronics and thinking it was really cool. This is back in the in the 70s and my memory it was a kids magazine that my library had when I was in grade school. It's like dynamite No, it wasn't Dynamite. It's like World or Globe or I think it had a National Geographic sort of tie-in, but it was more science-y kind of interesting things. Anyway, this magazine had a whole article about this animated monsters like ride that they were building somewhere. And I don't know why I want to say Cedar Point, but I don't think it was these people were working on these animatronic monsters, which were not like evil, scary monsters. And I just thought the whole process of that, seeing those things, I don't know. It just kind of brought a smile to my face when I was younger. Even Teddy Ruxpin, which people have... Teddy Ruxpin, yeah. I was way too old for Teddy Ruxpin when it came out, but I wanted to take Teddy Ruxpin apart and see how he worked. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're going to take him apart and find his soul. No. <laughs> that's See, now that is where that is where the scary came in. Find the soul. That's where the scary came in. Right? Obviously, uh, your child's play movie. Yeah, Chucky. I can't believe they still make those like Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of turned into more of a a satire of itself, I think. Mhm. Because now you've got all these different dolls that look like Oh yeah. The people, in fact, uh, isn't Meg Tilly part of canon now? Right. I mean, I think I saw the first two. That didn't scare me, but there is an interesting sort of phenomenon where people, uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to trace it back to a time when, because I just, I always thought animatronics were cool. You know, I think they're cool at an appropriate distance. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Like if you're inside the ride and they're like in the scenery and you know they're not going to come grab you, then that's cool. Right. But then the moment that that suit of armor that actually has an actor in it comes out to walks towards you on the haunted mansion, then it's all over. It's haunted, but it's not supposed to be scary. That's what Tower of Terror is for, right? Tower of Terror. They don't have that anymore. Oh, they don't? I thought they did. No. They turned it into the Guardians of the Galaxy That's thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They missed a big opportunity to make a an alien ride now that they own Alien. Or a, a David S. Pumpkins ride. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's right. funny? I was just about to mention an SNL skit, but it wasn't Pumpkins because I remember, I mean, that was pretty, that was pretty funny. I don't know what was funny about it other than it just kind of took me by surprise. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, what? And then, oh, they're still doing it. <laughs> there is a, an animatronics SNL skit. It's the Merrillville Brothers. Have you seen that one before? No, I've never seen that one before. That's crazy. Pretty well done, though. Yeah, it was good. But no David S. Pumpkins. 
No, David S. Pumpkins, but it's pretty good. And you know his middle name, S. <laughs> S. Is that why people are afraid of those things? Is because they're afraid they will come alive. As you mentioned, you know, you've got the night that springs forward. It's the uncanny valley thing. It's the where something that looks... Well, I would say like a lot of the the Disney um, animatronic characters at Disneyland Mm -hmm. are cartoony looking. Except the Hall of Presidents. Yeah, and that's that's not a very popular one. Isn't it? It's not? No. No. Okay. I, well, okay, I'm judging it on the fact that I don't know if I ever stood in line for that one. Okay. I think this is pretty funny, but just kind of an aside... There was someone on the internet, and I forget where I saw it, where they have a Donald Trump in the Hall of Presidents. Oh, dear. Yeah. But someone did a composite drawing of Donald Trump's face and Hillary Clinton's face and the way it looks on the robot. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And it could have been either one is kind of like what they... (laughs) So it looks like what they did was they just made one robot and just kind of made it sort of look like Donald Trump, but it could have also been Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Maybe the reason I never, because the Hall of Presidents, it's just a Disney world. It is a Disney world. It's not a Disneyland. Yeah. It's not a Disneyland. That's why I'm like, uh, yeah, that's why I never saw it. Okay. Okay. This is the Hall of Presidents. Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. Although that's, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe he, they went to Florida, but Bill and Ted talk about oh. Abraham Lincoln at the Hall of Presidents. So maybe in their universe, there is a Hall of Presidents at the California Disney. Anyway. Right. So it's the uncanny valley thing that it's not human enough. Uh, that's, it's partly that. And I think like the the some of the like real stylized motions are just kind of creepy. Not intentionally, right? It's just kind of like that's the way robots move or the way mechanical things move. It's the fact that, that organic creatures have a lot more points of articulation mm-hmm. than the designers of an animatronic can afford to put into theirs. Okay. So there's a lot more movement in a an actual human. So when, but it's like the same thing as like if you know, people will do that towards like disabled people, they'll be like, oh, that guy can't move his leg right. He's gimpy and we should shun him. You know that. And I shouldn't use the word gimpy, but I understand. So you think that's where the fear stems from? It's that it's, um, you know, it's messing with your uh, hardware in your brain, sending confusing signals. So like, what is it alive? Is it not alive? I don't know if it, it looks like it's alive, but it's not alive. Is it something sinister? Honestly, that's very similar to the points of articulation, although it is getting better in computer games. Oh, yeah. It's getting better, yeah. It's exactly the same thing. You've got characters. I'm playing a game right now, which I'll talk about more next week, called Dead Island 2. But I've noticed that some of the characters, the way their eyes move, the way it's animated, but some of the things that are programmed in there can kind of feel sort of like... They don't quite fit, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's the one thing about, like, the yeah computer animation in general is, like, figuring out how to do it. And, like, there's some movies that uh, just feel off. And, like, how was it? The, the, the Scorsese one where 
trying to show the young version of Al Pacino or whatever. Oh, yeah. Was the Scorsese one that just came out? Like, he was doing stuff, but there was, like, some things that he was, like, refusing to do with motion capture or something where it's like, no, nah, you really ought to. Do you know which movie it was? Shoot. I listened to somebody on a different podcast talking about the movie. Robert De Niro? Oh, is it the, the Irishman? Yeah, I guess that was De Niro. Yeah. Yeah, it's De Niro and Al Pacino and Joe Pesci and all these guys. But I think there was like scenes where they had to do young versions of them. And um, so they did try to do some de-aging, but they did it kind of weird. and So it didn't quite look. There's some things that they did that Disney didn't have a problem doing. No, wait, there were things that Scorsese didn't want to do. But at the same time, Disney did it with uh, Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones movie I haven't seen yet. Okay. One thing that Disney did do was a version of, or was it Tron Legacy? Jeff Bridges, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did that, and that was, see, that was kind of cool, but. That makes sense, because that universe is digital, right? So anything that's off, it's digital. (laughs) It's a digital But they also did did a flashback. They showed young Flynn in the real world. I don't remember. Yeah, there there was a scene at the beginning, and it was a little weird, but I think. The main reason it was weird was that um they could they couldn't de-age his voice. <laughs> I mean, they might have you know tried oh speak younger, Jeff, but it's like oh you still sound like the dude. Tron Legacy was that was pretty neat. It was a good second attempt. I thought I enjoy the movie, but I do enjoy the first one a little more. Okay, so animatronics wasn't showbiz pizza, right? What's the one that's here? Chuck E. Cheese, right? Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. <laughs> oh, Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, back in the day. That was some good stuff. Back before they they redesigned it from looking like a CD Vegas casino for kids, which was like the original aesthetic. <laughs> like, it's a Vegas casino with a floor show and the hippopotamus bartender. And yeah, <laughs> it was dark in there and you'd like run around. Your parents had no idea where you were and... And stranger danger happened, and they're like, whoa, we need some lights in this place. Right. (laughs) Chuck E. Cheese just announced they're removing all of its animatronics. Its animatronic band is now done. So History. Yep. What's what's the point of the place? Ticket redemption games, I guess. I've never been cool with the whole ticket redemption trend. It's a racket. Kid favorite animatronic characters and their band were part of the childhoods of several generations. And now it's the end of the road. Because now kids are sure they'll come to life and try to kill them. Okay, so here's the thing. (laughs) Because of Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, the tie-in, which we'll talk about a little bit later. I'm trying to find which spokesperson said it, but they say that it, them removing those had absolutely nothing to do with Five Nights at Freddy's. I just remember. Yeah, were, right. That's the headline. Chuck E. Cheese removal. <laughs> they insist the removal of animatronics has nothing to do with the release of Five Nights at Freddy's. Exactly. It, it could be that there are a lot of them are run down and broken and they're like, let's not fix them. Right, have you ever seen the Five Nights at Freddy's game at all? Any of the gameplay on it? I haven't seen the gameplay. I've. It's got a very interesting sort of origin story. Uh, but before we get to that, did you see the movie Willy's Wonderland? Willy's Wonderland? No. Okay. It was the action comedy horror, but... 
obviously based on oh, I was a couple of years ago. Right. Yeah. Oh, Nicholas Cage. Yes. And if you don't like the sound of Nicholas Cage's voice, well, watch this movie. <laughs> because his character says nothing in the movie. Wow. Yeah. There was an interview with Nicolas Cage where they said that that was sort of a decision. There was little dialogue in the movie to begin with for Nicolas Cage, but then they just said, let's have him not talk at all. There are people who talk with him and he just responds with his facial expressions. And he's got this thing where he's got uh, this punch that he drinks a lot of. You're not sure if it's like an energy drink or what exactly it is. But the whole premise of the movie is this guy has a flat tire in this town as he's driving somewhere. I want to say it's in North Carolina. Yeah. Hayesville, North Carolina. He's picked up by a mechanic who says that if he does a janitorial shift, a night shift, cleaning up this restaurant, he will get his car done for free and send him on his way or whatever, right? Uh. So as it turns out, spoiler alert, all these serial killers did some sort of satanic ritual and are now part of all these different animatronic animals in this pizza place. And then, of course, they start killing people. They were terrorizing the town, but they said, we'll make a deal with you. We'll just lure people here that you can kill and then just leave our town alone. Yeah, that's the movie, essentially. A drifter who is led into this thing, but he kills them all, essentially. Classic American tale of a drifter up against <laughs> demonic serial killer animatronic. Classic tale. For all time. It's, it's the American dream. It's, 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 <laughs> I don't think it's worth seeing. Don't go out of your way to see it. But if you want to see something ridiculous, see it. And then, of course, you have the movie Five Nights at Freddy's, which just came out. Written by the game designer of Five Nights at Freddy's, Scott Cawthorn. And this is where we get into the interesting origin of Five Nights at Freddy's, mm. which the whole purpose of that game is to essentially survive Five Nights in this pizza place. You're a security guard and you've got a security booth. All the gameplay is, is you're monitoring cameras in this. Okay. And you're running on limited amount of power and you have to close the door at the right moment when you detect through the cameras that these animatronic animals are going to attack you and kill you essentially right that's basically the game but where that came from was this the creator scott cawthorn used to make religious christian adventure games right wow so that is where he started making games and then you know he'd make these games for free And then got to a point where he wasn't, you know, he couldn't make a living off them. He made one game that basically was the inspiration for this Five Nights at Freddy's idea. Uh, The name of that game was Chipper and Sons Lumber Company. Chipper and Sons Lumber Company was this sort of management simulation where this beaver, his father says, okay, so you're going to, you got to start being a beaver and doing your beaver stuff. So I'm going to give you this plot of land 
right next door to the house that you can practice being a beaver and you can build (laughs) (laughs) cut wood and then transfer that raw material into actual wood that you can use resource management sims is what they call you're familiar with those right oh yeah yeah oh like idle miner yeah 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 that kind of game well one of the criticisms of this game let me get the actual quote because it's so rude so mean the chipper and son's characters resembled scary animatronics yes that is the gist of the quote of the person who had a youtube presence who did this sort of thing oh on the youtube okay james sterling is that the guy now their name is james or her name is james stephanie james stephanie sterling or commander sterling okay right let's not worry about that all that it is is this person had some pretty harsh criticisms about the game, about it being very uncanny valley, about the characters being scary. And I've seen gameplay of it, and it's pretty standard. It's got some kind of funny bits in it, too, Yeah, where it's like the little beaver is trying to figure himself out. He's a growing beaver, and he keeps on going on out on dates with these different animals from the... <laughs> and it just ends badly, you know, like each one. There's just kind of like an intermediate scene where later that night... And then he goes on a date with so-and-so and they say something and then he just slowly moves off screen. That's the humor, right? Yeah. So he took that strong sort of criticism. Okay, so in 2013, he developed his first family-friendly game, which is this uh, resource sim, Chipper and mm-hmm. Sons Lumber Company. One writer later described it as an example of the Uncanny Valley But they're cartoons. How can that be Uncanny Valley if they're cartoons? That I don't understand. People are jerks. That's what I'm thinking. Reviewers can't listen to the reviewers. They're jerks. Well. Yeah. Except for you. You're not a jerk. In this this case, he did listen to the reviewers. After being bullied, he kind of entered a depression. And he had suicidal thoughts, all this stuff, which he worked through. Mm. Then... He took this idea of the Uncanny Valley and made Five Nights at Freddy's. Also made a game that had a very unique look to it. The Desolate Hope. You play a robot coffee pot. (laughs) Uh, He made a lot of games. He did. He did. Looks like the Desolate Hope came out earlier than I thought it was. 2012, yeah. The Desolate Hope was accused of being religious because you are a robot who's on a quest to rescue the last human oh. fetus or whatever that it Boy, was. That's... He maintains that it's not religious. It's not that's not the, the whole thing. It's just that it's robots trying to save a human. Oh, there's a desolate hope. Yeah, it's got a very cool techno soundtrack. You're probably not into the turn-based RPG, kind of like Final Fantasy of old, like those types of games where you've got a monster and it's kind of like you take your turns by selecting which things you want to do, what each character. Yeah. Well, that's basically what the Desolate Hope is. For the most part, it's you're playing the robotic coffee pot, searching for the fetus. And then as you're going through your adventure, you fight off different other robot things or different enemies. 
I haven't played it, so I don't know exactly what it's what's it all about. Oh, here's a game. He made a game called Rage Quit. Probably autobiographical. Bible story slots. <laughs> he made a game called Fart Hotel. <laughs> that was probably in the depths of his de- depression. There, he's like, oh yeah, it's like just like, might as well make Fart Hotel and might as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. I'm looking at the description for uh, Fart Hotel. Oh, okay. What is the description of Fart Hotel? Someone cut the cheese and you have 12 suspects in this puzzle game. Watch everyone's faces closely. It looks like this is the one that they just sort of whipped out to be like, let's try to pay the rent. Fart Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. He probably made it because it made somebody laugh the whole idea. Like I said, interesting arc for Mr. Cawthorn. I could have waited in line for the latest Five Nights at Freddy's game at PAX this year to play that, but I didn't really have a lot of time to do it. But I mean, it was like, you know, big line. People still like that game. Oh, yeah. Kids are always talking about it. Oh, yeah. Are they? The backstory is very dark. I mean, I'm talking about elementary school kids. They're just like, Five Nights at Freddy's. Okay. We play FNAF. And they draw the characters and they're like, they don't say anything deep. They're just like, Five Nights at Freddy's. Ah! And like, yeah. Yeah. Pandemic was hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> the whole character backstory, there is this horror element to it. This guy who is a serial killer creates these suits and there's kind of lures kids and then they become the inner part. It's like they're robotic suits, right? That you could wear if you wanted to, but it eats kids and they decompose and they're controlled by the angry spirits of these dead kids or whatever. But it's, I mean, it's just so interesting to me how that kind of, you just hit gold. It was one of those ideas that just, was the right time for that idea and and just went crazy. Uh, Did you listen to the episode we talked about the game that had Dina Plato in it? Oh, different different stroke. I don't think I listened to that one. Okay. There was a game that had Dana Plato in it. Yeah, Dana Plato was in this game, Night Trap. Night Trap. Night Trap was one of the games next to Mortal Kombat, which spurred the creation of the SRB, the ratings board. So it's on the rating show, but Dana Plato trying to come back, did this game with Sega and it is a ridiculous game. Listen to the episode. You are looking through these different cameras, very similar to the way you are in Five Nights at Freddy's, except it's a more advanced kind of thing where you have control of different traps and the video is actual recorded video. So throughout this house, there are these traps that you can activate. But in order to do that, you need the right color code that the family that's living in there changes. And it's a more advanced version. And it came before Five Nights at Freddy's. There's got to be some kind of inspiration from that game, too. Look it up, Night Trap. The whole storyline behind that game is kind of ridiculous, that's something about how there's these teenage girls having a sleepover yeah. in a house, which unbeknownst to them is infested with vampires. Right. And not just vampires, but there are also these other things that are 
augers, which are vampires that just are like zombie vampires. And they have these things that they drain people's blood with. It looks like an arm. I don't know if you're looking at the pictures of these things, augers, but which they created because they had to create something that couldn't possibly be a thing you could build. That's violence against women. It's like people clued in on that. Also a very interesting story, Eric, about how this thing that was funded originally by Parker Brothers or Milton Bradley, but it was along the lines of a system that would do, it was a mystery. It was like a clue-like thing where you would do the same thing, look at the different rooms where the characters would be in the different rooms at different times, use that footage to kind of figure out, piece together. Oh, yeah. But that wouldn't sell in a video games market. And Sega at that time was trying to be very edgy because they didn't want to be Nintendo. So they came out with this on the Sega CD. We know people are tired of VCR games. Let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's part of the, the security camera thing. That's what I think of as that Night Trap game. But man, Scott Cawthorn just made it his own and kind of started, uh, I guess, a new fear for people. Animatronics. Yeah. If fear is such a great motivator, why don't you have an animatronic clown at everyone's desk? Oh, yeah. I think there's something in the Geneva Conventions. (laughs) (laughs) Animatronic clowns in the workplace. Yeah, you can't have that? I don't know. It's a war crime? Yeah. (laughs) this from the guy who when i was trying to figure out why my ex-girlfriends were dumping me for spain you thought it had something to do with the iberian peninsula yeah does that sound (laughs) that's right girlfriends dump me boy i had three different girls dump me for spain yeah yeah just not spain i'm I'm just not spain probably horses second world's largest exporter of leather let's not get into that Let's let's close the show. <laughs> you've done you've gone too far into Spain. Let's yeah. Let's no, drop no, the no. Spain. So animatronics, scary or cool? Which one? Which one? I think they're cool. I think they're cool too. And if they're scary, it's in a cool way. Animatronics are used sort of in a way in computer graphics. I mean, you have to kind of have your different. You know, you were mentioning points of articulation and things, right? That's designed in a simulated environment. And, you know, I think that's where a lot of people with games can be lost. Like you said, with the uncanny valley thing is when those movements don't have as many points of articulation, I think is what you said, right? It's that thing where it's like, if it's too close, yeah, if it's still cartoony, you can get away with it a little bit easier, but... Right. The more your character is trying to look more realistic like a human, the easier it is to fail that uncanny valley test. Right. And a lot of times it's in the eyes, I think. Yeah. A lot of times the eyes don't seem to operate, or at least in my experience. With things getting more and more realistic, I mean, until you have a completely AI actor. There was a movie about that, wasn't there? About an AI actor. That was just... Oh, I think there was a whole strike about that. <laughs> there was a whole <laughs> strike about that. <laughs> the whole sag after strike is all... No. It was a woman who didn't really exist who was... Oh, gosh. What is the name of that movie? 
I know there was a, a William Gibson novel. I have to reread it, but yeah, it was like called Idoru, which I think had to do with this Japanese AI character that was like trying to get legal personhood or something. Oh, okay. Or like marry somebody. It was... Simone. That's the name of it, which is a 2002 film, contemporary satire on Hollywood. Simone is the story of a disillusioned producer who creates the first totally believable synthetic actress, Simone. However, swept up by her instant success, including a major singing career, the producer cannot bear to admit his fraud to the world or himself. And that's Al Pacino. Al Pacino still just just showing up everywhere. Yep. Al Pacino, Winona Ryder. It's not animatronic. Not animatronic, but the Uncanny Valley thing, until we reach the point where we have synthetic actresses and actors that are believable and can be acted against, it's too easy when you're trying to blend live action and computer animation to detect anything that's just slightly off, as you said. It, yeah. So uh, what are your thoughts on animatronics before we close out the show? I don't know. I think they're, they're a fun thing. You know, it's like practical effects, I think, are, can be in a movie or fun. And little animatronics, that uh, they're little program puppets that do stuff. It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. And I will probably never go to Chuck E. Cheese again now that they don't have animatronics there. Right. I'm not sure there is a Chuck E. Cheese near me. I think they closed down. I think we drove by there once. And... I think they're going to reopen in the uh, bowling alley Target. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the ex-bowling alley Target. The ex-bowling You know what? I bet you they could make a Five Nights at Freddy's theme restaurant in a... Oh, yeah. Former bowling alley target. (laughs) (laughs) Would you go to a Five Nights at Freddy's themed horror restaurant? Do you think there's a market for that? There, I mean, people. Oh, yeah, man. I do, and I don't want to be near that market. (laughs) Neither do I. But a bunch of nine year old boys, and they'll be running around jump scaring you. When they're not running away from school. They're running to the Five Nights at Freddy's. Murder dolls. Yep, yep. Well, thank you, Andrew, for joining us. I really appreciate all you do for the show. You're an amazing guy. Oh, thanks, Ben. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're you're pretty awesome. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you do all this. You will give me a platform to be a podcaster. Satisfying one of my tiny dreams. It's it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. It is fun. As long as it's fun. For you. Yeah. I I love having you on. And thank you, audience, for joining us on this week's episode of the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. And my name's Andrew. And we've been your hosts, real hosts, not animatronics. Real hosts. I'm not an AI. No. I'm, no. I am, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am what I am. Yes. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. My name is Ben. My name is Andrew. We did it. We did that before. I know, but I did gonna... it before. It's a double dose. They they might have forgotten. They might have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Nora might have forgot who she was listening to. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <laughs> have a great night. Bye. All right. Bye.